I think that the palette of the modern consumer is changing. I don't think that we want overly sweet products anymore. So we're going after the market that's being lost by the big beverage companies and creating beverages that are more in line with what consumers want. This is LA is Good For You, a podcast about the founders and funders who are building LA's most interesting companies. We are your hosts, Susan Kevin. On this week's episode, we will introduce you to Zach Normanden, founder and CEO of Dirty Lemon, a new kind of beverage company that is already Instagram's hottest drink, beloved by LA celebrities. So where did you grow up? So I grew up in Fitchburg, Massachusetts. Where, where is that? Fitchburg is Central Mass, blue collar town, um, about 45 minutes west of Boston. Um, so very, it was like a manufacturing mill town, old mill town in Massachusetts. And yeah, there used to be a big GE plant there that was basically the main source of employment for everyone in the, in the town. Wow. So was your family, did your family work for the plant? No, actually my grandfather was an architect. My dad was a pharmacist. And then, um, yeah, my mom would stay at home and like raised all the kids and I have three brothers and two sisters. So yeah, we have a big, big family. And yeah, great, great upbringing, but nothing close to what I'm what I'm doing now. <laughs> did you know? Did you know back then, or did your did your family know that you'd end up becoming an entrepreneur? I think. Um, I mean, I've always had a lot of ideas, and I think that that's so. I always would write down ideas. I loved drawing. I I loved the idea of architecture. That was always something that was fascinating to me. And um, my grandfather, before he passed, I remember just like still even in his like last months, he was he would be at his drafting table drawing. And I was just always really fascinated by that. And then and I remember <laughs> like going to the grocery store and, and we were like when the peanut butter and jelly came out where it was both in the same jar, like we definitely got that the first time. And we would spend nice. hours in the grocery store. Um, and I think that that rubbed off on me because that's actually a lot of like what I look at now in a product is just like I look at. I don't know, the things that I think, like, I, I'm fascinated by this idea of, of, of humans connecting with products in a way that, that are, you know, is emotional, so. So you're seven years old and you want to be either a pharmacist or an architect or like a competitive peanut butter and jelly <laughs> eater or I what? I love peanut butter and jelly still, yeah. Um, no, I wanted to be an architect, but then, so after high school, I... Um, I went into the Coast Guard, and I was in the Coast Guard for four years. Um, really had no idea what I wanted to do after high school, but what I um, what I did know is I was I, I there was a guy that um, that was a couple years ahead of me in high school. He um, he went to into the Coast Guard, and he was a rescue swimmer in Alaska. And um, he was like the like a guy that I looked up to. I didn't really know him that well, but we had a common family friend, so I ended up. Um, calling him when I was a senior, like the beginning of my senior year in high school. And I can't remember his name now, but I think it was Jason. Anyways, I was like, Jason, what's going, like, what's going on? Like, how is the Coast Guard? I'm thinking about joining. He's like, it's amazing, man. I'm just like, you know, jumping out of helicopters and rescuing people up here in Alaska. And I was like, wow, this is, this is great. So, and, and, um, so that was it. And then I went in the Coast Guard and I, and I, and I ended up uh, chasing drug runners for four years. Like I was, we were literally chasing people that were trying to run cocaine to the United States. So it was, it was, it, but it opened my eyes to like a much different world than I, than I had grown up in. Um, so I, I mean, I went from very blue collar to living in Mississippi or I was living in Alabama, but working in Mississippi on a ship 
where we would spend um, four months on the boat, living on the boat. And then we were spending time in basically Central and South America. So I traveled a lot over that four years. And um, it was very exciting to me. At the beginning of 2015, um, really wanted to get back to uh, creating a brand of my own. And I just like, I wanted to invest in something that like had much more like that I could just keep investing in, you know, and, um, and was really just fascinated by beverage. And that was the, that was what led, um, you know, eventually to Dirty Lemon. So what, how do you think about Dirty Lemon? Cause obviously it's, it's part beverage mm-hmm. and part technology. What well, what's the idea? Yeah. So we, um, you know, I think we, uh, the, the original platform was developed really just because direct consumer beverage, it wasn't a very familiar, um, you know, at the time when we first started 2015, there really weren't any food and beverage companies that were selling direct. I mean, it was still, and, and even now there really isn't, there aren't that many brands that are focusing on e-com as a primary channel distribution. Um, but I saw these brands like Casper and Warby Parker and, you know, all in Dollar Shave Club. Um, and I, w- I saw the, I saw the, uh, the, scale that they were able to achieve without using retailers. And it was just really fascinating to me because that was something that I always, I was always really frustrated by was this um, process of presenting a product to a buyer, getting it approved, which I did in Little Duck. And then with Redwood, our agency, um, we were always creating products with the buyer in mind, but the buyer wasn't our customer. It was actually someone that was an intermediary between our customer and it was our, our access point to the customer. So I was, I was always solving for how do we get something t- through the gatekeeper when what I really wanted to solve for was just how do we create the best possible experience for our customers? Um, so I think, you know, and I, and what I was fascinated by with these other direct consumer brands is that they were doing that. They were creating new innovation and then they were launching it directly to, um, a captive audience of consumers that were waiting for new products to be coming out from them. Um, so that was a lot of the inspiration early on was that, okay, there are brands that are focused on direct consumer outside of food and beverage. They're doing well. You know, it was very, I think very, or before that, that Dollar Shave Club had sold to Unilever. Um, I knew the guys at Casper and they were like growing like crazy and, um, and beverage is just a massive, massive category. And so beverage is a trillion dollar industry globally, non-alcoholic beverage, uh, two trillion, two trillion dollars. Actually, we just looked up the number again the other day and it's, so it's like $1.9 trillion. Um, and it's 60% held by Coca-Cola and Pepsi. And if you look at, if you start to like analyze those cat, uh, those companies, you know, they're creating products for the most part that are very out of touch with, with the mainstream consumers. Um, so Coca-Cola globally is an incredible organization. Same with Pepsi. They have many different brands underneath, um, you know, their parent company structure, but the majority of their products are carbonated soft drinks, high in sugar, not healthy. It just goes against everything that the modern consumer is looking for. Um, and I think that, you know, I was just thinking through all this stuff at a very high level, and what we ended up landing on um, to launch the brand was a was an activated charcoal beverage. Um, activated charcoal was a very popular functional ingredient at the time, specifically in juice shops. So it was like if you went to a juice bar, um, and the juice bar craze was kind of like after juice cleanses, and then people started going to juice bars. You know, an activated charcoal lemonade was something that that a lot of these juice shops were selling, specifically in New York and California. And, um, 
so I was like, well, let's put that in a bottle and then let's try to sell, you know, sell this, uh, you know, nationally. Um, what I was seeing with juice cleanses was that, um, you know, everyone was saying that they were on a juice cleanse, but it really just meant that they were having like one juice a day and then they were working out and maybe they would, you know, uh, skip lunch or something like that. But then at nighttime they would be drinking wine and, and like eating a normal meal. And so that was everyone's idea of a juice cleanse. And it wasn't because they didn't want the benefits of the cleanse, but they just wanted something that was a little bit more relatable. Um, so we positioned the entire product launch for our first product, which is charcoal, around this idea of balance and that, you know, we, we're going to create a product that um, you can easily incorporate into your life and you don't need to sacrifice or you don't need to, um, you know, you don't need to just only drink this thing for, you know, in a, a set amount of time. You can actually um, enjoy your life and this will will be an additive complement to your daily routine. So we, we launched that in, um, in 2015. Um, but we knew in order to launch it direct to consumer that we needed a really easy way for consumers to, to reorder, to order the product and to reorder the product. So ordering the product had to go through um, a website, but the reorder was what I was trying to solve for. And um, my vision was, you know, when you're on your last bottle of dirty lemon, that you would have a really easy way of getting more dirty lemon. Um, so what we ended up opting for and we built around was this platform to allow customers to order products via text message. Um, so I wanted you to be drinking your last bottle of Dirty Lemon, turn around the bottle, grab the phone number off the back, text us and say, I need more Dirty Lemon. And we just saw orders coming in. And it's it's actually quite amazing that we were able to be successful with, because it was, I mean, it was just pure luck that we were able to achieve enough of a, a mass uh, audience to actually build this into a real brand. Um, and it's incredible now, like I see it and I, I actually see people in New York and LA that are drinking the product in public. And it's like, it's incredible to think that we started with literally just a very simple product that, um, yeah, we were just unsure of. And, and, and now it's, it's very widely, um, recognized and, um, people are enjoying it clearly outside of, um, outside of like even the city that we launched it in. Um, so how fast did you grow? If you or can you share any numbers about like how fast you went from you know selling single cases to selling lots of cases to lots of people? Well, actually, we used influencer marketing really, really early, early on. So we would pay people to post for us. Um, I mean, this was when this really wasn't that prevalent. Pay people to post for us, and then we would repost the photo that they posted of us. So it kind of like tied us to that influencer. And I remember with a lot of influencers, we would, we would, they would post a photo and we would see sales come in immediately. It's not like that anymore. Um, but at the time that was, that was really our growth strategy. So we would pay, you know, a couple thousand dollars to have an, uh, an influencer that had a million followers post about us. We would gain a bunch of followers through that process. And then we would also, um, increase sales and, uh, yeah, it was, it, it hasn't been like that for a long time. And then, you know, when Instagram advertising first came up, um, which was probably 2015, 16, end of 2016, maybe, or maybe mid 2016, um, that changed the game. And we were, so we were one of the first advertisers. We were like, well, let's not pay these influencers anymore. We're going to actually pay to just get in people's feeds. And for a while that was like the, we had the lion's share of, of, we, we had so many, um, like that was the main source of our, of our, uh, of our new customers was really just, um, was, uh, paying for advertising. And then, um, and it was, it was at such an attractive rate that it was like, it was, 
it would have been foolish for us to not spend a lot of money on Facebook and Instagram. Um, so we spent millions and millions of dollars over the course of a few years on Facebook and Instagram advertising because the price was right. We were acquiring customers profitably. Basically, the first purchase was pay, was paid for. Um, the customer was paid for on the first purchase. So we were essentially spending as much money as we could in, in a day mm -hmm. just because the, the price was right. Um, you know, I, I'm fast forwarding quite a bit here, but it's de the market has changed dramatically since that time. Do you think that's because of your stage of growth, or is it because of no, the no, just social the market, the market is just is has changed. Um, I think now, you know, what we're seeing is a lot of a lot of um, brands that have been historically reliant on retail are now are seeing that their boring experiences at retail. Um, like aren't attracting consumers anymore because you have this world of pop-ups and like new things that are happening in retail all the time. So <clears throat> if you're like a legacy brand that's been just doing the same retail game for years and years and years, there's just no, there's no value there to the consumer. So they're trying to make up their market share by moving dollars online to acquire customers online. And these big fortune 500 companies have much more of a marketing budget than any of the direct consumer brands do. Um, so as they're starting to shift their dollars to um, to uh, digital to acquire customers, the prices are going up, and it's just not a sustainable way to acquire customers anymore for us. So what we're doing is we're actually shifting our strategy to retail, and we think that with really immersive, amazing retail, we can um, we can actually uh, get back to a place where we're acquiring customers profitably. So our our latest concept, which is called the drugstore, is a retail experience that um, that we've created for the Dirty Lemon customers, and um, it's essentially it's a full cocktail bar where we have bartenders making homemade versions of all of our beverages, and then they compare those with um, with alcohol. Um, so it's a non-alcoholic bar with um, spirits pairings that that are based on the flavor profiles and the function of the of the beverages that we sell. So um, and then we'll do live music and screenings and panel discussions and all kinds of programming that complements that experience. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's and it, what's fascinating to me most about this is that this has all happened in like three years. Um, it's really we're not talking about like decades here. It's just the market's moving so fast, which is really interesting. So. So let's talk about your products. You mentioned activated charcoal. What other flavors are there? And actually, what goes into the beverage itself? What does it taste like? Right. So we have nine beverages now. Um, so yeah, so we very quickly, just I guess closing out that story. So we, we, saw, we saw enough success with the first product. We were like, well, we should do another one. So we ended up launching the first collagen-based ready-to-drink mm -hmm. beverage. This was in 2000, the end of 2015. Uh, and... The beverage was had four has four grams of collagen in it. Um, we knew that collagen was like a trendy. It was a trending ingredient. This was before there were like, you know, vital proteins and all these like collagen. There's a lot of collagen on the market now. But when we first started, this idea of of um, basically looking at. Um, you know, the benefits, the clinical studies that had proven out this. So there, there was um, double blind placebos that were done for uh, placebo studies that were done for collagen that um, that proved that the uh, uh, proved out the efficacy of the product um, and specifically related to wrinkle reduction and the elasticity of your skin. Mm. Um, so we told that story in a big way from a press standpoint and we we put in the exact amount of collagen into a bottle that those clinical studies were using to um, you know basically to prove out the effectiveness of, of collagen. Put that into a bottle. 
um, and then ended up launching that product. Uh, and then subsequently we've done um, seven more beverages since then. But the, the base of every dirty lemon beverage is lemon juice or organic lemon juice, ocean minerals and sea salt. So we add minerals to each beverage because um, when your body's properly mineralized, you can actually absorb nutrients much better. Um, and then electro, uh, sea salt is an electrolyte. Um, so that's the base of all of our beverages. And then we add flavor and function profiles on top of that base. So we have um, charcoal, which is for uh, natural detoxification. We have collagen for um, skin and hair. We have ginseng, which is like a natural energy drink. We have matcha, which is another like uh, more energy focused skew. Uh, we have rose, which uh, has Bulgarian rose water. And then we add resveratrol to that. So it's the same. Um, it's like the beauty ingredient in wine. Um, we have a CBD beverage that we launched um, uh, a few months back now. We have a collaboration that we did with Vogue magazine last year. Um, and we just launched turmeric last week, which is our latest beverage, which is delicious. And I was going to say, I have turmeric. That sounds bottle. wonderful. <laughs> oh, it's so good. Yeah. We'll send it. We'll send you guys some. It's, it's yes, delicious. So it's um, turmeric. And then we have, um, it has like a really nice, almost, it's not spicy, but almost like a warming flavor profile to it. Um, yeah, so, so we're, we're basically, you know, we're identifying these ingredients that have been very common in the naturopathic community for a long time, and we're blending them into a ready-to-drink format that allows consumers to incorporate those, the, the, the benefits of the ingredient into their daily routines. How do they, how do they say that they feel after they, I'm just curious, like, is there a, is there, do they take a drink and say, wow, that you know, had X benefit on me or like CBD, obviously you're going to chill out pretty quick. Yeah. Um, or is it just kind of a prolonged, how did they express loyalty is really where I'm going to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean the, so all of the ingredients that we are using are, um, I mean, it's the highest quality that, that we can find for a ready to drink beverage. Um, I think that the benefits are very clear for some, for some of the products. So you look at charcoal, collagen, CBD, um, they're very clear benefits tied to those. Um, I think some consumers have like, you know, different sensitivities to caffeine, for example. So maybe the like ginseng and green tea doesn't affect you. Like I could drink a double espresso right before I go to bed and I, it would be totally fine. (laughs) But, but I think, you know, so, you know, function is, um, obviously varies from person to person, but, um, what we stand behind is an extremely high quality beverage product. Um, so in 2019, we're launching one new beverage every month for the whole year. So wow. we have a lot of different flavors and functions wow. that we'll be pairing for the whole year. And so the entire platform was built on this idea of rapid innovation for consumers. So we want to identify trends very quickly and then put them into bottle format, um, basically before the retail system can can keep up with. Um, so while maybe the first like 10 years of my career, I was focused on like just pleasing the buyers. Now we're trying to just bypass them completely and really connect with, with the consumer in a, in a, um, in the most authentic, you know, uh, uh, you know, immersive way possible. Um, because I think, you know, consumers are looking to brands for this innovation now because I think the retailers have just been unable to keep up with the changing, um, changing taste and preference of, of most consumers. Do you think you're going to stick with beverages or do you think you're going to expand? Well, we will only do beverages, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, the opportunity for us is in beverages. I think there's there are, there are still so many sugary beverages on the market. And when you look at it just purely from a health standpoint, um, like, I mean, of my three children, my son love like will 
he, he does enjoy soda. Like when we're out to eat, he's like, dad, can I get a Coke? He loves, he loves drinking soda, but my girls, and it's not because I didn't let them drink soda. They just don't drink soda. Mm. Um, I think that the palate of the modern consumer is changing. I don't think that we want overly sweet products anymore. Um, and I also think if people want to eat something sweet, they're going to have like a dessert or like they're going to have an extra cocktail or something like that, but they're not going to want to sacrifice those calories um, and the sugar content on a soda. Yes. Um, and I think that that, you know, that's something that's happened. Um, you know, it's, it's been changing. If you look at, so 2016 was the first year that consumption of bottled water overtook carbonated soft drinks. And when you look at that graph, the projection there is like, it's just sloping down. Um, so we're going after the market that's being lost by the big beverage companies um, in creating beverages that are more in line with with what consumers uh, want that, you know, uh, you know, the modern consumer wants. So, so you're doing rapid innovation. Mm -hmm. You have a store in New York. Uh, where two, 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 in New York. two in New York. Yeah, we have two in, under construction right now in New York. So we have one in Tribeca and then one in Hudson Yards, which is a, an amazing uh, real estate development in, in New York. Um, and we're extremely excited to be a part of it. It's like it's like us, and then there's like a Gucci store. Like it's like very <laughs> like we're we're um, we we are uh, very much having to live up to this high expectation yeah. for this for this shopping center. You can get um, the bag and then put the put the dirty lemon. Yeah, right perfect. In, it. in a lot of ways, it's a perfect combination. Um, yeah. So we have uh, we have that, and then we're gonna do one in Chicago and one in Miami uh, in 2019. That's aggressive. Yeah, we uh we like to set big goals and we <laughs> <laughs> Why did you call it dirty lemon? Um it was it was kind of a, a spin on like a dirty martini. So if you look at like a martini, um, you know, there's a lot of ways you could like make a martini dirty, but uh you know, at at its core there's like, you know, the base. Like, you know, you have a, a martini is a martini, but then you have like and it was just kind of this idea of being able to to switch up um you know, something that stays consistent with uh -huh. something else that makes it unique. And, um, yeah, so, uh, it's like dirty lemon, you know, it's like the, the things that, the, the thing that makes it dirty is the function and the flavor and the, the, the ingredients that we're adding. Um, but at its core that it all has that base of lemon juice, ocean minerals and sea salt. So, um, so nothing else, just beverages, but you've got this amazing technology that is sitting behind everything that you're doing now. You sure you're not going to expand? Somewhere or another. So we're um, so we we recently made an announcement um, regarding our parent company, which is called Iris Nova. Um, so Iris Nova houses the technology um, that we developed that processes all of our orders. And then it houses the operational infrastructure, so the ability to create beverages very fast. And then um, the third thing is all the customer data. So um, you know, at, at at our core, we're we're building a data set around consumption behavior in the beverage space. Um, collecting data that you know all of the bigger beverage companies have never had access to, um, and we're using that data to provide um, the best possible experience to customers with with beverage products, all direct consumer, um, or predominantly direct consumer. We do use um, retail channels uh, for marketing, so it's mostly hospitality channels. So you look at coffee shops, we sell in Soho House, um, 
like high-end hotels and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, so Dirty Lemon is one of the brands underneath Iris Nova. And then we have um, other brand concepts that we're going to be investing in. So other beverage, emerging beverage brands that we can put under the platform. And then also um, brands that we're incubating in-house. Um, so our next brand is actually called Trey Lemon, which will be launching shortly. And it's, um, it's uh, inspired by like an old Italian uh, spritz. Um, so think um, almost like Aperol. a... Yeah, but with no with no alcohol. Okay. But it very much very much inspired. I can add it, right? Very much, yes, yeah, so of course. Uh, very much inspired by um, by the classic spritz, and um, we think that there's a need state that exists for consumers where you know you're out um, you know you're out for a lunch meeting and you don't want to drink coffee or water. Like, what do you drink? And no one. And if people aren't drinking soda anymore, um, there there is some there's a, a a hospitality product that exists in that. Um, in that spectrum that would actually fulfill that need state, need state for consumers. So that we're launching, um, uh, the core product in a glass bottle and selling that into hotels and coffee shops. And then, um, there'll be a canned version of that same product that we're selling direct to consumer. Um, so we're using all these wholesale channels, um, not grocery stores, but we're using these hospitality, uh, channels or retail channels, um, to acquire new customers with the intention of having them purchase the product direct from us. Well, you're definitely onto something because whenever I can't drink any wine or beer because I'm on a diet or, you know, I have to work later at night, I would love something that I could drink that would give me that that feeling of like, you know, it's, I don't know what it is, whether it's it's sparkling or something like that. We want something complex yeah. and like something that feels mature, but not... Um, I mean, it doesn't need to be a juice or, I mean, so all of our products, just going back a step, they all have um, under 30 calories and no added sugar. So we don't, we're not adding sugar to anything. And we've, through really amazing formulations, we've been able to actually create a f complex, full flavored beverage in, in all of our products. And they all have less than one gram of sugar. So it's just the only sugar that's in the products is, is coming from the lemon juice. Um, so it ends up... Um, I think what what what's being presented to consumers is something like you said that can easily be consumed, um, you know, during the day. It kind of it feels like it's like you're you're actually drinking something that uh -huh. you. Um, it feels like a treat, but it's not. You're not having exactly. to like. You're not having to, um, like uh, you know, make any sacrifices. So, yeah. So. It's, so uh, backing up for a second, yep. um, you're going to be incubating your own brands in-house. Correct. And it sounds like you're also going to be open for emerging brands. So yeah, will people so, be able to come to you with big ideas and say... So we'll be investing in um, in, in brands that have already had some traction, um, that have uh, an interesting product that could be added to the portfolio of, of Iris Nova brands. Um, so we think that there's a lot of amazing innovation that's happening in local markets and because of just the, the way that the beverage industry is moving in traditional retail channels right now, um, I think it's becoming very hard for smaller brands to grow. Um, and we have a captive audience of consumers that's looking to us for, for beverage innovation. Um, so we want to invest in those, in those emerging brands and allow them to be able to access the platform, um, to, you know, to basically access a new, uh, a new sales channel. Um, so, um, it's something that we're testing out right now. And I think, um, you know, my vision is to have, uh, you know, with Iris Nova, a, um, a portfolio of beverage brands, just like Coca-Cola or Pepsi. Um, but you know, brands that are just, um, you know, more unique and, and have a little bit more of a value add to offer to consumers. Um, you know, we're not, 
operating under the thesis that we're that we're building the next billion dollar brand. I want to build a billion dollar platform to create new brands um, without ever investing heavily in one specific um, brand. Um, I mean, if one of our brands becomes a million dollar or a billion dollar brand, that's great, but it's not, that's not the intention. We want to have a really curated, um, amazing experience, um, with a specific customer group through, um, each of our different brand properties. So that's absolutely amazing. Very smart. <laughs> Very smart. <laughs> yes. Um, are you worried at all about, it sounds like you're going to kind of become the Amazon of beverages. Are you worried at all about that company coming after you? Um, I think Amazon is operating on a level that, um, yeah, I, I mean, we, we actually, we, so, uh, Amazon has been an interesting thing for us. We sell on Amazon right now because, um, we, we saw a lot of brands that were trying to knock us off and, um, Amazon's so high in the search rankings that if you, if you shop for anything, um, online, um, you know, it's going to come up in one of the first one or two, uh, search results. And, um, you know, I think that the, you know, Amazon for us is, um, you know, it's something that we have to, um, you know, that we are using. We, um, it's a sales channel that we're supporting actually, because, um, there are a lot of consumers that are shopping there. Um, but more importantly, it's almost become the new Google. So when people look for a new product, they're looking at reviews on Amazon. And, um, I mean, we're unfortunately just not big enough to compete with Amazon right now. Um, so we kind of have to play by their rules and, um, they're the only channel that we've really kind of compromised our, our values on. Um, but I do think that, you know, similarly, um, you know, with Amazon, it's a great customer acquisition tool. So, you know, we can acquire customers there with the intention of obviously hopefully being able to, you know, we have the same number on our Amazon bottles as on the rest of our bottles. So I would like to think that we could actually get to a place where we can offer a better experience than Amazon in selling our products, um, which essentially renders them not useful to us. Um, and that's what we're working towards. So for 2019, we want to have better service than Amazon in every U.S. market. Um, so every better delivery service than Amazon. Um, and yeah, I think like you know we don't want to be the next Amazon, but what we do want to do is is, is really take a page from the these larger CBG conglomerates. So you look at Unilever, Coca Cola, Pepsi, um, you know P and G. They've they've all done this on a much larger scale, and we want to replicate and recreate that um, infrastructure and launch it and and um, be a little bit more um, uh, be more um, you know deliberate about the brands that we're launching and and what we're focusing our time on because they have a lot of legacy brands and truly have so much respect for like the brands that have been created through these conglomerates. But I think we can do it better with creativity and innovation driving our our decision making so and data so. So the reason why we started this podcast was to inspire mm -hmm. founders, you know, who I've got an idea, something they just, you know, wrote down on the back of a napkin and and they want to make that jump, but they're scared shitless. Do you have a piece of advice that you can give to anyone who's got an idea, wants to pursue it, but is really, really scared to do it? I think that... Um you have to get over the, the fear. I think that's, you know, the, the first thing, um, I would never encourage anyone to pursue a business idea unless they're willing to lose everything in the process. Um, it's like gambling mm -hmm. genuinely. It's like, don't spend a thousand dollars playing blackjack if you can't lose a thousand dollars or if you wouldn't be okay walking away without a thousand dollars, you know, um, this is without question, the emotional, challenges of 
going through building a business day to day, it's extremely challenging. Um, emotionally, physically, um, I've, yeah, it's, it's so much sacrifice and you need to be going into it expecting that, that you're going to have to go through all that and you have to be okay with, the with, um, the outcome not being what you would hope for it to be. Um, we've been very lucky. We have an incredible team supporting this business and a lot of amazing investors. Um, I feel very fortunate to be building this company at this time, et cetera, et cetera. I could go on and on. We, we, we truly have been just really, um, fortunate. Um, I think, you know, but for every situation like, like dirty lemon or Iris Nova, there are literally thousands of other startups that just never get to this place. Um, and yeah, and I think that, you know, uh, my only advice is like, you know, if you want to do something, you need to truly like forego every other priority in your life to, to make, to be successful in that. And I think that there is a balance in that. I think eventually, you know, the early years of starting something, it, it does take a, a disproportionate amount of your time, but then, you know, as you, as you build scale and team and all this stuff, you can actually like get your life back, which is fortunately for me, like I'm, we're finally getting to that place now where I'm like, okay, I can like actually not be like, you know, not be in this chaotic, like, you know, craziness all the time. Um, but it takes time and you have to go through that as an entrepreneur. And I think a lot of people end up quitting early because they're just like, I can't do this anymore. Um, yeah. So I think that that's my only, I don't know if that's good advice, but I think like, you know, you have to ri risk everything, um, work harder than everyone else. Um, pick a good idea. A lot of people, a lot of people are working on things that just don't have like the potential for scale to build, uh, to actually turn it into something that would be successful. And I think that a lot of it is just like, you know, one, uh, I'll close on this, the, uh, a mentor of mine, um, this was a couple years ago. I ended up meeting with him, um, in San Francisco and we're, I'm taking him through the pitch for, for dirty lemon and for Iris Nova, a very early version of Iris Nova. And, and I'm, I was pitching it in a, mu in a much different way than I do now. And he was like, you need to stop. He's like, what? He's like, you're not building a beverage brand. You're building the next Coca-Cola. He's like, it's not about what you're doing with Dirty Lemon. It's about everything else. And we drew out a bunch of stuff on a whiteboard. And I, he really challenged me to think much bigger than what I was like in my lane thinking about. And I think that that actually is something that um, a lot of entrepreneurs are like, I'm going to build a really great X or whatever it is. And I think that we're living in a world that is so fast paced right now that you actually need to think like, like literally shoot for the moon because that's what you need to do to be successful in something. Um, and obviously you need to, you need to execute against that. But, um, I think it's actually better to think like way, way, way bigger and be less conservative with, with ideas and with, you know, new innovation and stuff like that. So that's been a big takeaway for me is like, we're always like pushing the boundaries now. Um, and it really, I, I remember that and it'll be a moment in my life where I'm like, I, we, I really changed my perception of thinking and, and how we, um, you know, how, how we look at the future of, of the organization. That's our show for this week. If you enjoyed it, make sure to subscribe on iTunes. And while you're there, add a review to let us know what you think. You can also find us at laisgoodforyou.com. See you next week.